Hello there, Terry here with another episode of the Animation Industry Podcast. Today, I am chatting with Derek Kirk Kim, who is a writer, director, and artist who has been captivating audiences for well over 20 years now. And most recently, you might have seen it, he worked on the new Disney series Amphibia, where he directed 20 episodes for the first season. But before that, he worked as a senior character designer for Cartoon Network on the Emmy award-winning series and my all-time favorite show, Adventure Time. He also recently worked for Warner Brothers as a storyboard artist on Green Eggs and Ham, their adaptation of Dr. Zeus's legendary book, which is soon coming to Netflix. Plus, he is a prolific comics writer and artist with five graphic novels under his belt, which have also been translated into numerous languages. And a really cool thing about Derek is that he has won all three major comics industry awards, the Eisner, Harvey, and the Ignatz. And right now, he lives and works out of Los Angeles. So Derek, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, doing good, how about you? I'm, I'm doing well, I'm just uh, here with my dog Moose in the office and he's lying on the floor sleeping, so it's all good. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm excited to chat about things. Um, so there are actually kind of three main topics I wanna chat with you about. And the first is kind of your journey on how you ended up in the animation industry because you didn't really have that conventional animation school start that a lot of us do. Um, the second one is your time as a senior character designer for Adventure Time, which is my all time favorite show. And then the third one is how you ended up landing the role as director for Disney's Amphibia and like what that actually means, like what you're doing on a daily basis. Because when we chatted about this ahead of time, it was actually quite surprising for me to learn what your role actually was versus what I thought it was, even talking to other directors on TV shows. So it sounds like it's quite different in every area. So um, yeah, starting with your journey, uh, like if you think back way back when, what was the dream that you kind of had as a kid that compelled you onto the path that you're on right now? Yeah, like you said, I have a very unconventional route because when I was a kid, all I actually wanted to do was comics. Um, I loved animation, of course, like every kid, but I never really thought it was something you could do. Or I guess um, the fact that in, in comics, the fact that one person can just tell a story um, is so personal. Uh, I thought that was really appealing to me. So. Uh, because of that, I was drawn to comics at first, so um, I, uh, I went to art school and majoring in um, illustration and then minoring in uh, creative writing, and um, I was going to the Academy of Art in San Francisco for that stuff, and after my, um, after my junior year, uh, at the end of my junior year, I got my first publishing deal with um, a, a small publisher named Antarctic Press. So I, uh, I jumped ship, I, uh, I, uh, <laughs> I have a college dropout, and, um, and I, got, uh, uh, I started my first comic book. And, um, and then I did comics for a long time, like a good 10 years or so, 10, 12 years, uh, full time. And um, my, one of my good friends, a cartoonist friend of mine named John Pham, became an art director at uh, Fox ADHD, which was a block of animation on Fox for a little while. It was like their version of Adult Swim. And, um, and uh, he needed a character designer. So he asked me if I wanted to try, try it out. And uh, I did and really ended up liking it. And then, um, so that, that's how I ended up getting into animation. It was really just through a friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I have a like I want to backtrack a little bit. So um, just going back to your illustration degree with a minor in creative writing, um, like those the illustration and, and creative writing sounds like the perfect two things to get into comic books. But my question is about um, like in school, you can take a whole bunch of electives. Like you can take everything from like I don't know sociology to like religions to creative writing. So do you feel like the creative writing minor and all the electives you took towards that really helped you when it came to developing your career? Yes, most definitely. Um, I think anything you take where you learn something applies to animation just because animation storytelling, it's about people, you know. So even if it's something like, you know, um, psychology, it still helps you because you can you can write about people that way or it help, helps to inform you. You can manipulate your story so people like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And that's actually very important. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a actually a necessary skill to know how to uh, know what will affect people's emotions, you know, when you tell a story. So, yeah, anything you learn, I think, I think is valuable. Um, and you can apply that to storytelling because it's at the end of the day, it's all about people, or even if they're animals, they're, you know, humanized, so. Right, of course. Well, so how do you stay fresh on uh, storytelling nowadays? Now, like, you're not taking any formal education anymore, so how do you, when you're working on a show or whatnot, uh, make sure that you have the best storytelling skills? When you're an adult, I think it's just, um, it's life, you know, because <laughs> now you're living life. <laughs> When you're a kid, you just imagine what life is like, right? When you write about stories, you're imagining what it's like to go to a bar. You're imagining what it's like to own a car. But when you're when you're when you're a grown-up, you're actually doing all those things. So different kind of stories come from actually experiencing that, then imagining it. Cool stories can come out of you imagining it, but other story kinds of stories come out when you're um, actually living life. So I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like inspirations for stories never end as long as you're not just sitting in your room all day, you know, for the rest of your life, as long as you're going out and doing things and trying new things, meeting new people, interacting with different kinds of people. Um, I know, like, for example, Larry David as a famous writer and uh, TV uh, creator. He did. Uh, he does Curb Your Enthusiasm. He, he carries around a little notebook. Anytime anything interesting happens in his life, he writes it down. And I think that's a really good, good way to uh, uh, to like, you know, gathering stories, at least for me. I mean, that makes sense. So, like, um, I have a couple thoughts because, like, obviously there's a formula for telling a story through TV or whatnot. And, like, there are also formulas for, like, telling uh, stories through movies. Like, if you've heard the, about the book, like, Save the Cat and whatnot. Sure, but it sounds it sounds like you find your biggest draw for storytelling from your personal life. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, of course I do. You know, like, shows like Amphibia or, or, or uh, Adventure Time, they're very, you know... Uh, they're very fantastical, but I, 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 found, I found that the more personality, the more um, individual you make, you incorporate into those fantastical stories, the more it resonates with people. Um, so even if, it's, if it is a fantastical story, if you do insert it with a lot of your own personal um, idiosync uh, idiosyncratic, you know, uh, thoughts or um, interests, you know, it, it makes it very... Uh, uh, individual and interesting, I think, to the to the viewer. So maybe maybe I'm jumping around a little bit here, but like Amphibia, where you directed uh, like 20 episodes, did yeah. you? Are there any idiosyncrasies that you can say that were specifically from you personally in any of the characters? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's inevitable. I mean, all the, the writers, the borders, me, you know, the showrunner, we all, I think, insert just like, you know, for example, just a sense of humor, I think, you know, uh, it's it's unavoidable. You know, there's certain kinds of jokes and stuff that, you know, um, that uh, each person is drawn to and you wouldn't put in things that you're, you don't think is funny yourself. So all that stuff kind of informs. I don't know if I can think of off the top of my head, like a specific joke, but I'm sure, you know, I'll think of it after I do this interview. <laughs> Fair enough. You can just get back in contact. Maybe you can edit it in. Maybe. <laughs> okay. So I still want to go back to kind of your journey. So um, you're in illustration school and suddenly you have a publishing deal. Yeah. <laughs> How, like that, that isn't normal, I would say. Like there's so many people trying to make it and like get an agent or a publisher. Like why do you think um, you were able to reach that level of success so young and early? Um, just a genius. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, no, I think, I think part of it is that I was really, really hard worker. I, um, you know, when I was a kid, when when lot other kids were going out skateboarding or whatever, I was just in my house drawing and writing comics all the time. Even from early, the, as far back as I can remember, I was making comics, even if it was a simple four panel thing with like just a few words. Um, I was never just drawing. I was always like telling a story. Even when I was playing toys, I would be telling these epic stories. I didn't really want to play with other kids because they just wanted to fight with the toys. Oh, my gosh. You know, I, wanted to, I wanted to tell like a long story. So... Um, yeah, I think I think it was just putting in the the miles, really. You know, just putting just, you know, before I even like quote unquote became professional, I'd already, you know, like chalked up like hundreds and hundreds of pages of comics. So, um, I think that that probably was a big factor in me being able to start kind of young. That makes sense. That makes sense a lot to me. Um, and what is it? So like when you were actually a comic artist and you were writing and drawing, what what does that actually mean to do that as a career? Like what was your what was your like nine to five per se look like? It means you're a hermit. That's what it means. Because <laughs> yeah, writing and drawing your own comic, especially when you do everything yourself, it's um, it's a all life consuming thing. Like you barely ever have a chance to live life, you know. Because basically, you know, the 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 during that time, this was in the early '90s when I got into comics. Um, mm. You know, the 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 format was, you know, there wasn't any web comics yet. There wasn't online comics. There was basically two things: just the pamphlet comics that came out every month or every other month, or you had comic strips, which were like just three, three panels you would send to a newspaper or something, right? So um, if you're doing it everything yourself, it's it's practically impossible to make a comic every month so you have to do it every other month so um i would try to do i would try to finish a page like every two days including the writing so um with that schedule you could kind of you could kind of finish uh, a comic in two months but but it's just extremely grueling and it, it kind of messed with my mind because you know <laughs> after you, you don't spend a lot of time without humans uh you know you start to kind of go insane and uh, which, which is the great thing about animation is you can still you have the storytelling medium where you draw and you're kind of in your hole, but it's with people. So you collaborate, you know, after you're done doing your part, you can talk with people about the project. So it's a, I feel like mentally it's a much more healthy uh, way of uh, working for visual drawn storytelling. But this is just me. Other cartoonists, I'm sure, are totally different. They love that hermetic lifestyle. But for me, it was a little bit a little bit uh, claustrophobic. So have you have you like done your time as a 
comic book artist now? Or, or, like, are, are you finished with that path, or are you still kind of get an itch to go and create more comics? Uh, I'll never say never, you know? You don't know what's yeah. how, you, how I'm going to feel maybe 10 years down the line. But for now, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm primarily focused in, um, in TV or, or film in terms of uh, animation or live-action films. Uh, I, just, I just really like collaborating with people. You know, I like being around people. Yeah. Um, so it's it just comics. It's uh, it's not only do you need a certain set of skills, you need a certain kind of personality, I think. And not everyone has that kind of personality that can just be alone for like endless amounts of time and not feel uh, it getting to you. So uh, yeah, I, I don't. And that stuff you can't really learn. You know, you're just kind of born that kind of person or not. I think. And um, I don't think I'm that kind of person, hundred percent. You know. Maybe, maybe once I've done a lot of TV and animation, you know, I'll, maybe I want that time kind of by myself for a while. But at this point, um, I don't really feel that way. Fair enough. Um, and it sounds like you already have like a, the experience of a whole career in that. Were you, yeah. were you, um, so you were, you were, you're also like an accomplished comic book artist. It's amazing that you've won all these awards and, and like, um, et cetera. But were you 100% relying on comics or did you have other things that were supplementing your income or like what is what was that actually like in the beginning yes I had to supplement because it when I came into comics in the early 90s that's after the bubble had burst and it was like literally the lowest point in comics history uh it was a really tough time to come into comics so in the beginning I had to do my comics at night and then do some um, stuff in the daytime for example I um while I was making my first graphic novel, Same Difference, I was I had actually moved to Korea. I was teaching English uh, part time during the day, and then the rest of the day I was working on my comic. So that that's how I was able to yeah fund being able to finish that comic on my own. Um, because you know we didn't have the graphic novel like boom that's happening right now, where in bookstores you can find graphic novels and all this, and publishers pay in advance. Like that did not exist at all. Other than the little little events you could get, um, you know, like like I'm literally like five hundred dollars for like a comic book series or something like that, um, which isn't enough to obviously make a living while you're making it. So um, yeah, in the beginning, but then after that first graphic novel, I ended up winning the all the awards, and then um, it went through three different editions. And after that point, then publishers, other publishers, like bigger publishers that pay more, came to me, and I was really lucky in that right when that was happening is right when the book publishers were all coming in to to make their own comics and, and they pay an actual advance so because of that um i was able to make a living after that point because then dc contacted me to do a graphic novel uh, uh imprint of macmillan which is for second books they came in and asked me to do a bunch of books for them and they all pay really nice advances so um you know, finally after that i was able to make a living yeah so so for good i would say maybe like seven years i was just 100 percent doing comics uh what, so were you actually were you also doing anything to, it's sorry it sounds like um once you got those deals all you had to do was focus on the comics rather than really push marketing yourself and trying to get more attention is that right yeah i mean it definitely helps yeah it definitely helps to have a big publisher uh pushing you uh but you still in this day and age of like social media it's so it's, it's so fractured now there's so many people doing it i think it, it's kind of necessary to to push your own work you know through social media and all that stuff there yeah um so when you were in korea teaching english during the day and then like working every single night to create a comic like where was that energy coming from? Like, what were your thoughts? Did you have a clear, defined path in your mind where you're like, 
every day if I do this, I'll have a graphic novel and that will lead to the next thing, et cetera? Or is this just kind of like a passion project that you were going to do no matter what? Yeah, well, one of the reasons I was so passionate about getting into comics was, is because I had a real uh, mission. <laughs> I had a real drive. Uh, I, I wanted to see, I wanted to make things in comics that we hadn't seen in any media, which was stories starring Asian Americans. They just, in America, they just don't exist. At that time, just didn't exist at all. Um, so I was one of the first people to actually really push that, along with my friend Gene Yang and Jason Shiga. We all kind of came up at the same time. But um, we were all very passionate about that, you know, and um, we wanted to see stories where Asian Americans weren't just like the side character, really stereotyped or villains or whatever, you know, and um, and I felt like that was really hard in film because film is a much harder thing to break into um, uh, and much harder to mount, you know, financially speaking. But in comics, you know, you could totally do that just by yourself. Um, so I was really determined to, to, uh, make stories that starred Asian Americans. Um, and, uh, and that was my first book, my first successful book, same difference. Um, and then, and then the day to day to actually finishing it, um, I had a really great, uh, structure, which I actually recommend to any starting cartoonist, which is, um, start a story online and then just chip away at it every day in a consistent schedule. So I did three panels a day, no matter what, every day. And then eventually by the end of, you know, by the end of the year or a few years, I had a finished graphic novel. Um, and, um, and, and once you start doing that and once people are reading it online, it'll, it'll drive you to finish it because people will be constantly um, bugging you to finish it. You know, when's the next panel? And then if you go on vacation and you can't do it for a couple of weeks, people will be like, hey, you know, we're waiting. So it really like, you know, motivates, it motivates you to finish it. It puts all this pressure on you. And I think that's, that's actually really important because it's very hard to finish something in a vacuum. I totally feel that. That's exactly actually what I did um, two years ago, which led me on the path to start my animation career. I was publishing oh, a, an Instagram that's comic awesome. every day for 365 days. So That's awesome. So random. I'm already following your advice, and I didn't even know it. <laughs> um, cool. So let's, let's jump ahead a little bit, because uh, I, I know we have a lot to chat about, um, even though I could chat about the comic part forever, um, but Adventure Time. So uh, tell me how you landed that role. And I know that kind of is a, that's almost like a segue from your time as a comic book artist, so. Yeah, it's, um, the Adventure Time thing was really uh, convoluted because actually before even my friend John Pham asked me to be a character designer at Fox ADHD, um, uh, when I was tabling my comic stuff, uh, uh, Pendleton Ward, the creator, was a fan of my comics, that first comic I was telling you about, same difference. And um, he came to my table at a, at a, uh, a small comics um, convention called Alternative Press Expo. So it's a, kind of like a comic con, but much smaller, and it's for indie comics, like Xerox comics, and, you know, smaller, like, experimental comics. So I was there tabling, and then this, this college came up and he, and he gave me this uh, videotape of his college work and it was a uh, Pendleton Award. So he'd already know, known of my work before he even started Adventure Time. So when he started Adventure Time, he was interested in me having to work for it. Um, but at the time, I had no zero experience with animation. I didn't, I didn't even really know if I wanted to do it, you know. And uh, so I was living in Portland, Oregon at the time, and he had Cartoon Network fly me out to do this writing test for Adventure Time. And the only thing that existed of Adventure Time at the time was that pilot that isn't part of the regular series, you know, where it looks really different. Yeah, um, yeah. 
yeah, so so that's the only thing that existed. There wasn't all these uh, extra characters that we see now, and and um, so it was really kind of wide open. I didn't, you know, it was much harder to gauge what they what he wanted in terms of the writing because it was kind of just I was just writing and just throwing out things like things that I thought were cool, but I don't know if it really matched Adventure Time. But um, so I did the test and it went fine. But I don't think I don't know if my sensibilities were close enough to what he was looking for. So. At that time, I didn't get I didn't get the uh, writing gig, and uh, he asked me to storyboard. But at the time, I was just I don't know. That seemed like a completely alien thing to me. You know what I mean? And, yeah. uh, and I was so you know just enveloped in my comics that I, I kind of passed at the time. And then years years later, I you know ten years of comics or, or not actually it was in the middle of my comics career. So maybe like five six years later, uh, John asked me to be the character designer. So then I started doing that. And then, so I got I got a real good hang with the um, in the ca- uh, character design department. I be- ended up becoming the lead character designer there. And then I guess seeing that work, and then my previous contact with um, with Penn, the new showrunner Adam Muto of Adventure Time, uh, he asked me if I wanted to be their lead character designer. So uh, and he already knew of my work because of my comic stuff and his connection to Penn. So um, yeah, both so both having my comics work and the work that I. Uh, the experience I had doing the character design work at Fox really helped me to get that job um, because uh, they 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 knew I could do it technically and they trusted my work for my comic stuff. So so yeah, that's how I ended up getting that job. I didn't have to test or anything like that. I love I love how random that is. Like you're sitting at a small booth, Pendleton Ward in college walks up and hands you a videotape of his work. Yeah, yeah. Was, <laughs> like was he pitching you? Like. What was that about? Wait, I'll say that again. Was he pitching you? What was that about? No, he was just—he just liked my comics, and he, he wanted to, you know, like back then we used people used to trade all the time their comics or whatever, and um, normally it's comics. I never got traded a, uh, a, a videotape before, and you know back then everything was on VHS, and um, yeah, he was just—he just liked my comics, and he wanted me to watch it, and it was Bueno, bueno the Bear. I don't know. If yeah, you I'm totally. Yeah, it yeah, was like a, this, little, this little black and white bear. It's yeah. really cute and has a butt. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, totally. It's black and white, just really scribbly, like, you know, total, like, you know, school, uh, art school kind of work. I mean, really good, of course, and very unique. But um, yeah, it was just, uh, just crazy. I mean, at that time, though, I mean, I used to table a lot. So I used to get a lot of, I mean, every convention I would leave with like a pile of comics. Or okay, so you have, a, you have a horde of people's VHS pilots at home. That's what you're saying. Not VHS tapes, but a horde of comics for sure. He was one of the few people that gave me a, a tape. So obviously it really stood out, you know. Well, that's that's awesome. And I love how um, it all kind of came together like almost a decade later. That's so random. Um, What's funny is actually almost every contact I ever made uh, was actually through conventions. Like my friend John Pham is is a great cartoonist and art director. I met him at a convention. Uh, My good cartoonist friends, Gene Yang, Jason Shiga. Lark PN, Jesse Ham, I met them all at conventions tabling and then we would trade our comics. And then, you know, you gravitate toward who's people whose work you like, right? And then you end up like contacting each other through well at that time we're literally contacting each other through letters. And then <laughs> in, the <laughs> in the mail. mail. Oh yeah. And then, um, and then that makes a lot of sense to me though. Like uh, like for instance, I started this podcast by talking to Fred Siebert at uh, TCAF conference here in Toronto. Yeah, and yeah. Pretty much everybody I've had on the podcast, like I personally reach out to them, but um, everybody has a similar story to yours. Like, oh, I met this person randomly here, or I was friends with this person, and, right. and uh, that leads somewhere. So 
I, I really yes. like that. And, and people like my classmates often ask me, like, how do you network? And it's really just show up at these places and, and just talk to people and, and see where that leads. Like, don't almost don't go in with any intentions. <laughs> yeah, I, that's actually great advice. I would say always go to convention uh, when you're young and you're trying to make connections. I would, I would say just go to conventions. And um, and, you know, a big thing that would help you actually is tabling yourself. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, because then people come to you, you know, right. and see what you're about. So, and then you can trade and, and you know, and not, and I don't mean it in a real like sleazy like you know networky way, but just just because you know you want to meet people that share your aesthetic, right, or that you want to be right. Better. Like your like the comic you made is just your business card. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in a way, sure. I mean, you don't have to see it that way, but that's what it ends up becoming. Right. You know? Yeah. I get it. Um, so, no, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I would say go to conventions, make friends, and you never know when that you know person that you became good friends with is going to become you know the art director somewhere or whatever you know. Or you become the art director, and then you need to pick up other artists. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Too, right. Totally. Um, yeah. So uh, talking back about character designers, so like when you say character designer, and I'm thinking like Adventure Time, all the characters are like really silly, have like like really simplified faces, and there's like. Yeah. In design pretty much anything so I'm, I'm kind of just picturing you like sitting at your desk laughing with other people drawing silly characters you know incorporating the show but I know I know that's not what it's like at all so can you take me through what it's actually like from like a process uh, standpoint sure uh, I do have to say one thing that might be a bit different than what people might think is um, shows differ on how they design things. Um, when I was at Fox ADHD working on shows like Axe Cop and Major Lazer, Colin the Insatiable, High School USA, I did a bunch of shows there. Uh, I was say you did Axe Cop. I thought it's like... <laughs> yeah, that show was wacky, super wacky. Um, uh, but um, that show was script-driven, which was very, like, comedy writer-driven. Like, um, there were a lot of, actually, really well-known comedy writers there. But um, we would take the script, we would get the script, and then we would... Um, see which characters needed designs and, or actually in that case, every character needed designs. Uh, we would uh, design it from scratch, just based off the uh, script, not having seen anything visual. On Adventure Time, that's a storyboard driven show. So that means the storyboard artist kind of, there's, there's a synopsis, the writers write a synopsis, but the um, storyboard artists actually flesh out all the, the story details and kind of sketch in roughly what the characters might look like. So we take those um, rough drawings from the boards and then we, extrapolate a design off of that sometimes if they're like minor characters you can kind of go completely different than what's drawn there but usually uh the real major characters they've kind of done the um the very basic pass and then you kind of try to refine those rough designs um nice. and then and then if you're the lead character designer you know the the job uh, how, how the job slightly differs is um you have to designate which artist gets which design and then and then you get to refine or change things as you see fit. So that that's the one uh, one uh, difference between like a regular designer and a lead designer. Makes sense. And I and I know Cartoon Network is a storyboard driven show, so that's probably typical of um, a lot of their cartoon or sorry their character designers, I guess. Yeah, I mean most. I don't think all of them are. I don't. I don't think Ben Ten is a board driven show. I, I could be wrong, but I think it's a, story, a script. So, so when you say you're refining the details, what like can you give an example of something you need to refine once you get a design? Sure. I mean, like for example, there was an episode of Adventure Time when they're in a snow landscape, and uh, Finn and Jake had these like snow suits. Um, 
so but in, in the board it was just kind of like a rough parka sort of thing with just like a you know little furry like um cover around their faces or something like that but the rest is just kind of you know abstract and um so i added like little um you know like when you see like a puffy parka you see those like lines that go down the down the body uh yeah. i poofed them up like that i put a belt on them i put like uh, cool little shoes with little furry tufts on them um so you know th that's like one example of what you might do it actually sounds really fun <laughs> yeah it's, it's really fun because it it takes away it, it doesn't make it quite uh, the pressure isn't all on you you know what i mean to make something cool and it, it's it's a good little collaboration between you and the uh, board artist Right. So when you when you hand off a design to say an animator, what are you actually giving them? Are you doing like the full three quarter front back poses or yes. yeah? Yes. So you're so you're drawing the completed design and color too, I guess, and giving them kind of like a little sheet with all the specs. Um, most shows actually have a separate color department. So um, I. Uh, uh, in the case of in, 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 a, in the Fox, I actually did the coloring as well on the characters. But at, um, at uh, uh, Adventure Time, we had a separate color. We had a color team, basically. The, um, the uh, art director plus the uh, color stylists is what they're called. And um, so I would just give them basically sometimes like what the colors that I'm looking for. Sometimes they would do it in first and ask me if I thought it was cool. Um, or they asked the art director and then I would work together with the art director. Um, but the first step of the process actually is uh, all the heads of the uh, departments, the lead background designer, me, uh, the lead character designer, uh, the art director, the lead, um, uh, the storyboard supervisor and the director of that particular episode. We get together once a week and we break down that week's episode. So we go through the entire board, every page, every panel, and we all circle like what our parts would be, like which one would get props, which one would get uh, character, which one is considered a prop, which one's considered a background. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And um, so once that's broken down, I have a huge list of all the things that, you know, came my way. And then I would, I would break those down between me and the two other uh, designers. So that, that's, that's, the, that's the first step of the process. And then I would, I would um, give those out, do my part. And while I'm doing my part, the other two designers are doing their part. And in case of Adventure Time, uh, they were both off-site. They were, like, far away. So I, I was actually the only one in-house that was in the uh, design department. <laughs> um, but anyway, so they would finish their work. They give it back to me. I give some notes. Uh, it goes back to them. And then uh, Adam, the showrunner, would also give notes. And then they would fix those notes, bring it back to me. And then any adjustment, last minute adjustments I want to make, I could make on them. And then, and then I would hand it off to the uh, color team. And then once the color team was done, and it was approved by me and the uh, the art director, then it would go out to the animators in Korea. So your average office job is like sitting at a computer, you know, sorting through some data, sending emails, coordinating meetings. But this to me sounds like you all like huddle around some characters, like pick the cute ones, this one goes to you, and then you run back to your desk and draw some designs and then meet back up. It sounds really fun. Yeah, it is. I mean, the, the real fun part is that that first meeting that I was telling you about, because mm. uh, it's all of us together. We spend a couple of hours together and talking about the episode, laughing, like just like what you're imagining. Um, yes. but, the, but after that, the day-to-day the -day grind is just you at a desk, yeah, just drawing and then, you know, you know for, for the lead character designer, it is a lot more social because you have to talk to the other designers. But I think if you're just a designer, it's 
not that it's not unless you're you know during it's like breaks or lunch you're probably not doing that much you know uh, uh cavorting with the other um with the other uh people in the team gotcha um so let's talk about like what actually makes some good character design and so somebody somebody like asked me this on my instagram story when they yeah. found out i was talking to you and it's uh what's your process in capturing a personality in a design for instance well, first thing is, I really wanted to work as a silhouette. Um, if you look at any iconic character, whether it's Bugs Bunny or um, or Woody Woodpecker, you can tell them <laughs> right away just from their silhouettes. You know, so um, the first thing I try to think of is, uh, yeah, if if it actually works as a silhouette, if it's fun and cool and memorable, most importantly, um, just as even as a silhouette. And then, and then I try to make details that seem like what's something that we haven't seen before, right? And um, like if you if you've seen this one episode where we introduce um, Lady Rainicorn's uh, uh, ex boyfriend, who turns out to be this terrorist, yeah. and um, <laughs> his motorcycle has wheels that are flipped on its side, and I don't think we'd ever seen that before. So stuff like that, you know. Gotcha. So like unique qualities and also like strong, strong silhouettes where you can instantly kind of. Yeah. Tell. And really fun details that maybe you haven't seen before. And then also, at least for me, um, bringing in um, things that maybe that only might have been in maybe your life. Like um, uh, I had one episode where Princess, uh, Princess Bubblegum was in a hanbok, which is a Korean traditional dress. And um, those little details, like the bow in the center of the body, are, I think, really unique. And I mixed that kind of up with, like, uh, kimonos and then also just, you know, ooh-ish, you know, qualities. Right. And, um, and if I wasn't Korean-American, I don't know if that would have really come out, you know, whether it was good or bad or whatever. I just don't think it would have happened, you know. Um, and, you know, in, in the original board, she was actually just in a kimono. So this is a perfect example of what changed from the board to the to the design. So the board artist of that episode was Akko, who's who's a Japanese American, I think, or half Japanese American. And um, and uh, and uh, so she was putting herself in there. And then I added my own like flavor in there to have this combined design, which I thought was really unique. I, I don't think there's ever been a design like that. So that was really fun. I really like that. And that kind of mimics what you were saying or mirrors what you were saying before about putting yourself into stories. Yes, exactly. um, that's, a, that's a perfect example. How do you know, how do you know when something is finished? Like with uh, Jake and Finn in their like parkas, um, like maybe you can finish that one a little easier because it's just a parka, but like with the, with the motorcycle or the kimono, like how do you know when it's actually done when you have a little bit more creative freedom? Uh, when Friday comes. <laughs> when Friday, okay, that's a typical answer that's, when it's due. That's literally when you know you're done, is when the episode is due. <laughs> because um, I haven't worked on that feature yet. Well, actually, very early on in my career, I did work on one feature. But most of my most of my career has been on um, TV. And um, in TV, you just don't have the time. Like, every freaking week, uh, you have to have an episode done. So, you know, after a while, you just run out of time. So you just gotta you just gotta be happy with uh, what uh, what you ended up with. Yeah. So were you working like a normal like nine like forty hour work week? Would you say? Or... No, no, no. No. <laughs> Especially as a as a lead. Very typical of the animation field. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. I I would say maybe average, maybe like if I was lucky, like fifty hours a week, maybe. Right. Yeah. Um, 
but you know, there's other times where I worked on the weekends a couple times. Um, uh, that still I, that still sounds better than like teaching English full time and then working on something in the evenings, though, right? Like that's twice as much time. For sure. I mean, if it, I guess it depends on if the person is happy just doing that, unless because unless they have their own stories to tell. Because the one thing about animation, you know, you don't get to tell your own stories, right? It's it's somebody right. else's story, which is which is awesome when you're on a great show like Adventure Time. But some, maybe you're on a show like that where you don't feel the story really says anything for you. Um, in that case, a lot of times they might be working on their own stuff uh, at night, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, if that's the case, then yeah, you're gonna be working a lot. <laughs> so how did you feel working on Adventure Time? Was it like was it completely fulfilling for you in that sense? Yeah, I mean, Adventure Time is one of the you know, I mean, that's that's just like one in a million kind yeah. of shows, right? I mean, it's it's a it's a it's it was an industry changing kind of show, so. And I was already a fan of the show uh, before I got on. Um, I hadn't seen too much of the show. I was just so busy. But once I uh, once I was uh, bring, brought on board, I watched a lot more. And, and then I was like really, really. Um, and just and then and then working with Adam and the team, I realized how uh, unique the show was because most of the people that work on Adventure Time they're very unique people. You know, they think differently than than your average person. Um, so you know, you can see why the show is like that. And uh, it was really inspiring and just really amazing just to be on the show. And then every time the animation would come back, it was just, it was like a little miracle every time, you know, it's just, it's just so cool and so much more cooler than you imagined, you know? Yeah, nice. Well, I, I really love that. And uh, sounds like a really great opportunity. Um, so what actually makes, like, you're a senior character designer, but you work with character designers too. Like what really makes a good character designer? What's a quality that you look for, say, if you want to hire somebody or want to work with somebody in character design? Well, um, one thing, of course, I mean, it all comes down to art, right? I mean, 50% of it. Um, so you, right. first off, you got to be a great artist. Um, uh, and, then, and then practically speaking, uh, and this goes to any kind of... Um, when, sorry, wait, when you say great artists, like that can mean something different to everybody who's listening. Like, are you talking yeah. from a technical standpoint? Or are you talking from, yeah. like, what kind of? I'm talking both. So technically speaking, the, uh, the fact that you can execute things, you can turn models. One thing that's very important in, um, in uh, character design is you have to be able to turn figures in your head very, very, uh, very well. Or else you're going to really, you know, you're going to suffer a lot. I mean, suffering as in like, you know, it's going to be hard for you um, because you're going to be laboring over it, which means you're going to spend way more time on it, which means you're going to probably hate the job more, you know? Yeah. So um, I remember on my first job at Fox ADHD, because that was a um, flash show, and which means that they basically have uh, set character uh, rigs. They call them rigs. And so each individual component was a rig in flash that they could just kind of move around. Um and that meant that the character design position was a lot more laborious because you had to design the figure from every single angle, every single part, every arm, every head, every ear. Uh, you had to see it from like, um, like you know, t like I did, I, I did. I'm not even kidding. I did like a 26 point turn where the head was oh 26 different perspective positions, perfectly in proportion. <laughs> You're pretty and, much just uh, animating at that point. Yeah, I mean, you're basically you're making the the cells for them to animate with, yeah. Um, and then they use those those uh, those drawings to kind of turn the figure or animate them in certain ways. And uh, because I did that, I got really really good at turning the figure in my head. 
so if you want to get really good at it, I would I would practice that if you want to be a character designer. Just try turning it in every single way in your head. Um, try to make it as perfect as possible. That makes sense. Because after actually, a while, uh, after, you, oh, sorry. after you've done that, it be, kind of becomes muscle memory after a while. And then when you're on a show like Adventure Time, that only requires like, you know, uh, three-point turns, uh, you know, three points or four-point turns, then, then it's very easy for you, you know. So that's that's one element. The technical stuff, of course, is very impor important. But of course, you want somebody that's going to bring their personal uh, uh, touch and feeling or um, uh, aesthetic to it. Like Joy Ang, who's phenomenal. If you've ever seen her own art, you know you can you know that she's a great artist, um, not only technically but just in terms of her own voice. Same with Michael DeFord. You know, there's a lot of great artists that are technical, but they might it might look very generic. It might look like every other kind of art. So uh, if you have that perfect combo of having an original voice and you can technically draw well, I think you're a shoe in for um, shoe in for uh, a, a character designer. But there is one other element, which is you have to be you have to know how to work with people. You have to know not to take notes personally. That's super, super important. If you take notes personally, it's going to create a lot of friction on the show. Um, people aren't going to like working with you. So even if you're an amazing artist, you might not work because people don't want to work with you. So that's also very important. I would say that's like, I don't know, 50% of, of, of being a, a person in animation. That makes, I hear that a lot too about the feedback. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, cool. So uh, I guess maybe just like wrapping up the Adventure Time thing. I'm still, I just have a few curious questions. Like what were some of the perks of working on Adventure Time? Like did people, as, as soon as you're like, oh, I'm on Adventure Time, did you get like a swarm of like fans around you and stuff? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, a big advantage of uh, working there was the uh, pancake machine. What? Uh, so <laughs> Cartoon Network. <laughs> There's a Cartoon Network. They have a pancake machine that just like. I have not heard of this. Yeah. So and I like pancakes in the morning. So that was a huge, <laughs> huge benefit. Like like you just put in like blueberries and whatever, and it pops out a pancake for you. No, you press a button and it pops out a pancake for you. Oh wow. Yeah. The, no blueberries, unfortunately. But um, yeah, just. To, they have a giant bag of batter that like they, somebody sticks in there and then you just press a button and then the pancakes come out. <laughs> oh um, out of all the things you could have mentioned. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm half joking, of course. But I mean, I, with Adventure Time, uh, or with any animated shows, uh, I, don't, I don't think you, you shouldn't expect like a swarm of fans or anything. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, you're still, you know, you're still a uh, hired hand, of course, right? You're not you're not like the creator, you know, of the show. But that doesn't mean that doesn't mean people, uh, you know, that doesn't mean that people won't uh, automatically be excited to know that you work on the show that they love. You know, it's great. And um, but 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 the the most the most rewarding thing for me was meeting kids who was who were like really into the show. You know, and yeah. seeing how much the show meant to them and how happy it made them and how excited they were that you were working on the show and. And I think even more uh, exciting is when, like, if it's a family member, like a kid, like a niece or a nephew, you know, or if you have kids of your own and they're really into the show and they know that you work on the show, that, that feels really gratifying that you're contributing something to um, how you felt when you were a kid when you watched the show that you liked, you know, that, that, that's like really sweet for me. That's really cute. Um, did you, uh, what was your favorite character that you animated, or sorry, not animated, but you designed on uh, Adventure Time? Oh, man, I like so many things. Well, I guess uh, Lee, the ex 
girlfriend of Rain, Rain of Corn. That one I did from scratch. So that one I have a special uh, affinity for. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's such a unique character. And, and the fact that he's Korean, I mean, he speaks only in Korean. I think he makes it even more of a tie for me with that character. So that, that character is probably my favorite of all the ones I designed. Nice. And did you put any like Easter eggs that we can look out for in some of your characters? Like specifically uh, yeah there actually is an easter a lot of easter eggs but it's only relevant to my family oh. there's one episode uh there's one episode i forgot the name of it but it's um there was like an iceland actually it's from the same episode where i was talking about finn and jake suit but there's a place where um everyone's been frozen in ice and there's like hundreds of people that are trapped in ice and a bunch of my family members are actually in there. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, I have a bunch of cousins. I have my niece, my brother. Like, they're all rec recognizably so. Yeah, yeah, recognizably so. As much as I could with this, you know, with the simple style of Adventure Time. But uh, yeah, like my brother made his uh, Facebook uh, profile picture that his frozen self in Adventure Time, and stuff like that. That's <laughs> that was really fun. Cool. Nice. Um, so let's uh, let's jump ahead to Amphibia, which which just came out. Can you, um, for those I guess who don't know or are not familiar with it, can you kind of give like the pitch of what it's about from your perspective? Sure. I mean, as from the creator's mouth himself, the show's about change. It's about this girl who's really, um, really kind of not not the best kid. She's a little bit selfish. She's a little bit self-absorbed, um, and it's about her becoming a better person. Uh, transported to this world through this through uh going through this world uh with a frog family that she's just meeting for the first time and um becoming a new family with a new family member with and um and uh matt told me that uh he likes to say that that's uh symbolized by the fact that frogs go from tadpoles to to frogs you know they're like the ultimate uh, animals uh, in terms of change and that's kind of symbolizing Anne's own change I like I like how you pitch that because it you know the typical pitch would be like Anne is a, a young angsty teen and she gets transported into a world of frogs you know like kind of that right thing. versus yeah, like what's actually at the heart of the story like that's exactly. uh, I, I liked how you how you pitch that yeah um, yeah and that's that's from that's from Matt Brawley himself you know yeah. so that, that's I think that's what separates like really good shows from maybe just the mediocre show it's not just and the, it's not what you call an and then show and then and then this happens and then this happens right. you know it's more about what we're trying to get at in terms of the character's uh heart you know yeah makes sense so so you're the director on um the first season what exactly uh does that mean like what as a director were you doing yeah um the director uh, in the animation is a little bit more ambiguous, I think, to most people than, than uh, say, live action. And um, basically, the uh, the director of the of the episode, your job is to make the ultimate job for you specifically is to make the animatic, which is going to go overseas to be animated. So, what is the show going to sound like, look like, paste like? Um, all basically, what you see on screen, um, it has to be done in a rough form within the animatic and that's your job to make that so um so you take all the elements that everybody else uh is working on like the storyboards all the uh the, all the voice takes of every every character all the sound effects all this music you have and then um you have to put that together into the animatic and get that sent over to overseas to the animation studio and that requires a lot of work than than you might just think you might think initially because you think well you just put it all together right but 
for example, when you put together the um, the storyboards, uh, a lot most of the time it's over the time limit that you have, which is 11 minutes in uh, in terms of uh, in an amphibious case. So you know sometimes it's like 16 minutes long in the initial cut. Like what you have to decide. It's like doing a jigsaw puzzle. What do you cut and still retain the heart of the story? What what jokes are don't work? What jokes are better than the joke that you already have? Um, and if and if there is a better solution to certain things, um, it's your job to board that out yourself because the board artists are on the next episode. So um, any changes you want to make, um, uh, you board it yourself. And that's actually one of the greatest things about being a director is you can really put your own voice into the episode and manipulate it, sculpt it to to what you think is is best for the show, uh, best for the story. Um, so, so once you have all those elements, uh, the editor, and you do that together with the editor, the editor actually is a huge, I, I feel like editors never get enough due because the editor takes all those initial parts and then puts it together the very first pass. And then I come in and then I look at it and then, and then we work on it together to, to cut it down, to refine it and hone it and all that kind of stuff. But you, you know, as a director, you, you decide where, where the music goes, you decide where that sound effect goes, you decide which take of the voice actors you use. Um, you, you're basically the, the, the decision person until the showrunner comes in and gives his notes. Um, that sounds like an insane amount of responsibility at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a lot of pressure. You know, it, it can kind of get to you because, you know, everybody's done all this work. It's dependent on you to make that episode good, you know, with are all you, the work that everyone's done. Are so, you also managing everybody through this process too, like deadlines and everything? Yeah, of course. You, you have to be on the board, board artists. Um, to make sure they turn everything on time and, you know, do it in a nice way. But, you know, it's still up to you um, to do that. Um, hopefully you have board artists who are, who are pros and don't, you know, like, uh, you know, go over their deadlines. But sometimes you can't help it. You know, some, some episodes are hairier than others. And, um, and what, you know, one of my jobs as a director is you have to divide the script. Uh, Amphibia is a, a script-driven show. So you have to divide the script into parts for this, to hand out to the storyboard artists. And, you know, sometimes you try your best to always make it fair so each person gets um, equal amount of work. But it's sometimes impossible to predict. Like, we had one episode. There was a magic battle in one episode. Um, and <laughs> in the script, it was the battle was, like, one sentence long or something. And it ended up taking, like, like you know, uh, half of his work time to do that one battle because it was so involved and there were so many things happening. And, um, you know, that kind of stuff is hard to predict. Yeah. Um, well, uh, <laughs> it sounds like it. I'm just wondering, like, how did you know that you'd be a good fit for this role coming from, like, graphic novels and then character design? Like, it, you have a lot of relevant experience, but it kind of sounds like this is also an insane amount of responsibility to take on. Like, how did you know this was right for you? Well, luckily, I had uh, two two things that really made the experience, uh, made me ready for the experience um, outside of my comic stuff, which also, of course, really helps. But uh, one thing was between um, Adventure Time and uh, Amphibia, um, I storyboarded at Warner Brothers uh, on, on a show called Green Eggs and Ham, which comes out um, on Netflix uh, later this year. Um, and on that show, everyone, all the board artists were like total pros, like, you know, board artists from like, uh, I don't know, like uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame, and like, you know, like all these like uh, bolts and, you know, really, really, really experienced board artists, like mostly from feature. So I learned a tremendous amount. Um, my director, uh, uh, 
uh, Piero, I'm blanking on his last name, but Piero is an amazing board artist and uh, director and learned a lot from him. So I had a real, real uh, education uh, in, in terms of storyboarding with those guys. And then, and then before I went to animation, I actually uh, did a lot of live action work. I, I, I made two hour long films. I, um, I did a bunch of shorts. So I was actually very used to editing. Um, I, I edited all that stuff myself. And um, so with those two experiences, and you know, also being a live action director, I was really used to managing people, um, really used to talking with people, being with people, comfortably giving direction without making them feel bad or anything like that. And um, so, and then, and then with all my experience telling, uh, telling stories and writing in comics, like all that combined, I, I felt really ready to 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 uh, be a director on a on an animated show. And I'm not I'm not gonna lie, in the beginning it was you know it, there's definitely a learning curve there. But once I got into the hang of it, um, it got really smooth. I think by the end. So if, if somebody else wants to get into directing, it, it almost sounds like, okay, you need uh, 20 years of experience in every other avenue. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody's path is different. Because yeah. I've come in strictly into animation, I think I, I kind of had to go that way. But people that go right into animation, for example, Matt Brawley, our showrunner, is a perfect example. He went the total traditional route, which is you start as a board revisionist, right? Mm -hmm. And then uh, fixing up boards from other board artists. And then you become a board uh, board artist and then you become a director and then you become a showrunner right so um so but, but how many people actually follow that path? <laughs> yeah that's true i mean matt matt is one that did but yeah. i think i think when you go to school just like as, as you know you end up having to do all those parts yourself like the like the editing right yeah so even though you haven't you haven't done it as a job like directing somebody else to edit you've still done it yourself so you know what it takes so uh because you go, if you go that traditional route you are going to do all those parts so by the time you get to be a director, you get to use those skills that you used before, like in school or, you know, helping out on other shows. So I think I think that is that is a faster way if you're strictly going into animation. But I didn't know that when I was coming up. So makes sense. Well, you, you, your career path is very unconventional, which also yeah. is very conventional when it comes down to like the average person in the industry anyways. True. Um, I think a lot of people have different stories, right? Yeah. That's Well, that's yeah. why, I mean, on this podcast, pretty much everybody has a completely different story, even if they ended up going to school, which is why I find it so interesting just to talk with uh, everybody who comes on here. Okay, cool. Um, so I'm, I don't, I'm going to have like a hard time explaining this, but it's something I wanted to ask you and it's something like I'm learning right now. I kind of tried to send you a question about it ahead of time, but it's basically about judgment because like as a director, you have to make a lot of judgment calls, like what to, what to cut out of an episode, like what music, yeah. et cetera. And for me, like something like I'll work on an animation for instance, and like spend, I don't know, like eight hours on it and then watch it. And sometimes I feel like slightly underwhelmed but i also have like a strong desire to like bypass that and be like i spent all this time and effort on it like uh, yeah. that's worth more but um i'm learning slowly to to like recognize when those those points or those feelings that i need to push through and make it better on or um like i guess just judgment calls on what is working and what isn't working when yeah. i spend so much time and effort on it so for you how did you learn to get better at developing those judgment calls to make something better than it currently is, I guess. Well, one thing um, 
one thing as a director, because you're directing, you don't direct every episode, you direct every other episode usually, and um, you have this higher voice. You have you have other voices helping you. Unlike at school, when it's all on you to determine what's what's the what which battle to pick. On an on an animated show, you have a lot of voices helping you pick the best choice, right? So I mean, during that initial pass, or during your pass of it, um, you get to make all the decisions. It's kind of like being at school where you get to make all the decisions. But after that, um, you have a lot of voices. You have the head writer, you have the showrunner, and you have uh, usually a supervising director. Um, and uh, we all sit together, and it's really fun. We go through the whole episode. We're like, oh, maybe this line would be funnier here. Maybe this joke would be funnier. Um, so it really helps when you're uh, when you're in an actual show because you have a lot of voices. You know, and you can ask your board artists too. You, you don't you don't have to ever feel like you're alone as a director. You have all these people around you. Don't let your ego get in the way of making a better show. You know, be be, be open to asking other people. Even if, quote unquote, they're like below you or whatever. I don't think that I don't really believe in that. Um, but 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 during my my own past, when it's just me, um, uh, I have to like pick my battles because unlike you, your own projects, you know, you don't really have a lot of time. So you're like, OK, I have these two things I can work on. Which one is the one that needs more work? And if one of them uh, opened my imagination more, if one of them uh, made me laugh less, you know, like very simple things like that, I'll pick that one. To, to work on and then leave the other one alone. So th that's what I usually do um, uh, when I'm trying to pick uh, what to what to work on. I like what you just said. I never heard that before. The things that open your imagination more because that's like a yeah. that's like a instantly defined thing that I can see helping. Um, mm, cool, cool. Um, well, thank you for that. Um, so obviously, as a director, you're working with a ton of people all the time, and you already said like people skills are something that you need. If you were to like assemble a team right now, besides like the technical skills, who would you like? What kind of people would you would you pick to work with? If I was, if it was my own show. Yeah, because like one thing you said is, for instance, you like bounce off the writer and uh, you get their ideas, or you like bounce off everybody. Are there specific um, like personalities that you know, or like I don't know, clashes that you look for that? you know are going to develop a better end product versus like if everybody agrees on the same thing? I think one thing that's very important is uh, comfort. So I, I would pick people that I'm very comfortable with. Um, so people that I work with uh, or people that I've been friends with for a long time, but maybe have a very different uh, kind of comic than what I make or animation that, that, that I make. So even, even though we might be different aesthetically, we can get along so that so that they can bring they can bring in something fresh to the show, but we can comfortably hash it out. You know what I mean? If if it doesn't work, or if it needs more work, something like that. So I, I would probably pick, for example, my friend John Pham, who who brought me into animation. He would be somebody I would I would immediately call up because he has a very different aesthetic than me. But we get along so well um, in terms of talking about art, art and stuff like that and story. I think I think we we'd make a really good team. We could both bring fresh voices in, but we wouldn't clash about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. It's like your partner in crime in like animation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and I would bring in Joy Joy Ng, who I work with on Adventure Time. I would bring in my editor from Amphibia. Uh, she's absolutely incredible to work with. Um, you know, and, and you know, uh, being a director, you have to get along with your editor because you're with them. <laughs> 
you're with them all the time. Like you're just holed up together in that editing room for hours and hours. So it's really important to pick the right editor for you. And I got really lucky on my first directing job that I got um, an editor that not only is fantastic, she was an editor of Young Justice, the first seasons. And um a million other shows and uh and and personality wise we got along so well so we were we became friends and great work uh workmates so yeah so it sounds kind of like you're almost developing your own like you just <laughs> called out a bunch of names are you developing your own little team right now or is this something you want to do in the future like to work yeah. on your own show or something yeah of course of course i you know being Coming from comics, of course, I was a writer, so I, I have a million ideas that, especially in the last six, seven years when I've been working full time in animation, I had to put on put on the back burner because you know I was busy with these other shows. So now that I'm in a position that might be more um, susceptible to getting my own show, um, I'm thinking of pitching those ideas I've had that I, you know a lot of times originally might have thought from my comics. Um, I could I could definitely use them for uh, shows, but yeah, I'm starting to I'm starting to pitch around. I actually had my first pitch at Netflix, yes, two days ago. Oh, congrats! Um, yeah, and um, so we'll see how it goes. But I think I think if if anybody's gonna go pitch a show, I would just say kind of like when actors go in for roles, like just do the best job you can, and then just forget about it. Because you know, getting a show, getting landing a you know Marvel hero role or whatever, it's all like winning. It's like winning the lottery in terms of yeah. chances, right? So um, it's best to just do the best work you can and just forget about it. And then if it happens, awesome. But if it doesn't happen which is most likely the case, you won't feel so heartbroken, you know? Yeah, that reminds me of something uh, Mark Hamill said at a conference I went to. He was like, I won the lottery, but I was also spinning the wheel every time, I, every chance yeah, I Yeah, that's a perfect, <laughs> <laughs> that's a perfect analogy. It's a perfect yeah. analogy. Yeah, uh, yeah no, you know, 90... this entire talk, that's all that stood out to me. It's been a few years. What's that? Out of his entire chat, that's the only thing I remember. <laughs> That's a, that's, yeah, I mean, that's a great, that's a great, great bit of advice. Because, you know, I have to say, you know, most of these shows like that you see made or movies that you see made, you think, you know, like, oh, man, these people are geniuses and that's how it's done. But a lot of times it's just persistence. There yeah. are people that might have been more brilliant, but maybe they gave up, you know, and they didn't pitch after the third time they got rejected. But but most of these people that are successful, they pitched 100 times after they got rejected. They kept pitching, you know. So uh, that's really important to keep in mind, just like, um, yeah, the other artist said. Yeah, so if you don't mind sharing, um, you just walked over to Netflix and you're like, hey, I have a show, can, we, uh, can I pitch it for you? Like, how did that happen? <laughs> well, luckily, if you're, if you're in the industry for a while, it's not too hard because everybody knows everybody. So eventually, you know, that chain will lead to a development person, right? So um, like, for example, in this case, in the Netflix case, my uh, supervising director at Amphibia, uh, Kim Robertson, who I absolutely love, and she's amazing. She's worked on a million shows that you probably watched as a kid. But uh, she um, she became the, uh, I forgot the actual title, but she became kind of like, um, uh, like one of the top executives there in the animation department. And so she has, you know, contacts with all the development people now. So she was like, hey, if you have any show ideas, um, I can put you in contact with the uh, development people. So I was like, yeah, that's great. And um, that's how I ended up pitching in Netflix. Um, and then, you know, once you start working for an actual studio it's very easy to pitch because you you just know where to go when once you're there you know it's like the development people are on the first floor at cartoon network or whatever you know so you can just go up to them and say hey i have a show idea and you know unless unless you're like a sociopath or something they're gonna take you. <laughs> <laughs> if you're working right. for so, the company yeah. so after she said like hey if you have any show pitches you just like went behind the scenes or like after work and just kind of developed your own show or is this something you've been working on for a long time 
No, no, I, I've had show ideas I've been working for a long time. Because when you're working full time on a show, you can't, you can only chip away at it, right? So right. Um, after Amphibia season one was over, I actually took a long break to uh, just specifically work on these pitches. And then now I'm finally ready to start chopping it around. So you, you created like a pitch Bible then? Yeah, I mean, I actually, um, I've been kind of, uh, this, this may be just for me, but this might be a tip as well for pitching. Um, I found that when I pitch, because I used to pitch when I first got into animation, I pitched a few times. Um, I pitched to Cartoon Network, Disney, Nickelodeon, and Amazon. Mm. And uh, during that time, I did it very like formally. I had a pitch, I, I had a Bible, and then I would project each page, and then I would read off the Bible, and then like you know go through it page by page. And it was very dry and boring, and people, <laughs> even if the idea was cool, like presenting it that way, I found it was like very unengaging. Yeah. So uh, I've actually this time I'm actually trying to s stay away from pitch Bibles that, to use as a pitch. So I'm just creating all these images. I'm creating um, all the character drawings, and I'm. Uh, creating um, like an animatic, short animatic. And then I've been just presenting it and then talking through it and letting it just organically happen. Let them ask me questions as I'm doing it instead of just blabbing on for like an hour, you know, uh, which gets really repetitive. And I, I found at least this last time that I pitched was it was much more lively and much more, they seem much more engaged and interested. Um, so for me, that, that, that worked for me. So that might be something somebody else listening to this might want to do. Well, thanks for the tip. Um, yeah. I'm also curious about, so like you've had a lot of great opportunities to work on some really great shows, Amphibia included as the latest one. What will change for you internally when you're running your own show, even though there are still constraints with like, um, you know, appeasing the producers, appeasing the general audience, uh, you know, working with like, I guess the process is still the same, but like what's the internal change that you think you'll have when it's your own show? Well, I, I, you know, working so closely with Matt on um, Adventure, or not Adventure, Amphibia, I think was really, really helpful. Because then I got to see firsthand how Matt dealt with executive notes mm. or all that kind of stuff. So it was really, really helpful. I think, I think if you're somebody that just like fell into the deep end somehow, got lucky and just got your own show immediately right away after, I don't know, a board revisionist job or something, I think it might actually work against you a little bit just because everything will be so new to you and, you know, it'll be like, jumping into a deep end of the pool or something. Um, but because of my experience working so closely with Matt, um, you know, uh, one thing is just not to fight, you know? I think fighting just leads to just more fighting, you know what I mean? Um, if, if there, maybe if they have a certain note, but you feel strongly the other way, in the room, it might be okay just to go along with what they say and then, and then, and then kind, of map, map out, kind of map out what you think is better and then show them, you know, and then show them them and then a lot of times they'll change their minds because they'll because you can't really express in words sometimes what you want to convey you know yeah um and then and then mentally i don't know i don't know i don't know if it'd be that different maybe it's because i've already like mounted like two films and all that stuff it, it doesn't really make me nervous or um make me think any differently about running a show versus what i've already done you know yeah fair. i mean yeah. My next question was just going to be like, what's next for you? But it kind of sounds uh, like we already know. <laughs> well, I mean, so but that, only, that, only, that only happens if that... If well, fair, but... It, but like, <laughs> so, okay, so what's next for you if it, if it like, what's the backup plan? Uh, well, um, right now, my next thing is um, I'm going to be actually a creative director on a new show at Cartoon Network. 
um, they're developing a new show, so I'll be working. I'll be basically the the showrunner's right hand man on this next uh, show. I'm, I can't announce it obviously because it hasn't been announced. But um, we're actually starting three years until it comes out. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a pretty long because basically what we're doing is going into the quote unquote writing pod. So um, it would be me, the showrunner, and the writers, and we're all going to just hash out what the show is going to be. And um, luckily, it's based on a it's based on a, a popular, really good um, series of kids uh, kids graphic novels. Mm-hmm. So um, the, we have a blueprint, but for the show, the showrunner wanted to do something a bit different, something more expansive from the comics. So man, sitting so in a be- group with others just to dish out a story that sounds so fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm actually, I'm really excited because I really like the comic. I really like the creator. It's really fun and um, being like I was on the ground floor for Amphibia, but not any of its development. So right. I, I thought I thought it was fun just, you know, getting on the ground floor there. But this one's going to be like really, really it's going to be on the basement floor. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really, really excited um, to be able to even infuse more of, uh, you know, my own personal vision for the show, um, you know, from the get go. Gotcha. Well, I'm going to be anxiously waiting until that comes out. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, um, well. yeah. And so like you've had a, a very, I would say, like accomplished career, even just from like a, like projects you've worked on standpoint. But I know internally, like you, you love working on this stuff, too. So like looking back, what is what is kind of your proudest moment? Do you do you think would you say? Oh, man. OK, there's a. You know, anytime I get a new show like this, I'm super excited. Um, but because Adventure Time was the first one where it was a show that I already genuinely loved and was excited to be on, when I first got on board, uh, I think that was the most excited I've ever been um, uh, working in animation. I just remember like walking into Cartoon Network for the first time with my badge and all that and just being like, just not believing I was actually working here. Because before that, um, we were working on a uh, at Fox ADHD. Everyone wasn't really happy because the shows weren't going too well, you know. And um, I, I was happy. I was fine working with my. I, I was like loving working with one of my best friends. So that that aspect was great for me. But it wasn't something I could feel super proud of, you know, because the shows weren't quite as successful as everyone was hoping. Um, so when I when I got on, um, uh, and by the way, that's not to diss that show or anything. I was super super uh, felt lucky to be working on it. But it didn't have the same kind of excitement, built-in excitement as Adventure Time because Adventure Time had already proven itself to be, you know, an amazing show. Um, uh, and then, and then being able to bring my family to uh, visit Cartoon Network or Warner Brothers or Disney, like that, that was really fun too. Because my, my my mom was like so proud of me. Oh, you know, really great. Yeah, that's so nice. Um, well, that's that's amazing. Um, so I I also kind of want to chat a little bit about. If somebody else kind of wants to take your career path, but not even in a sense of like becoming a character designer or uh, like a show director or showrunner or whatnot, but like just working on projects that they're excited about and are and and they want to work on, like what would you advise them to do or how to make decisions to end up in those places? You mean like on shows that they're genuinely excited about? Yeah, or even just like something that they want to do, like you wanted to draw and tell stories and you've been doing that all through your career. Yeah. Um, what would you tell somebody who, you know, wants to do, like follow that path where they're always excited and, and working on stuff they want to work on versus like, you know, getting a, 
a business job like I did and <laughs> taking a taking a different uh, sidestep for a while. How can yeah. somebody end up always excited and happy about what they're doing? You know, one thing I would say is um, it's okay if you change your mind. You know, like I, I thought I wanted to do comics my whole life. You know, just like you probably thought you might want to do business at some point, but it's okay to not know when in the beginning. You know, and um, and but but when you do realize it's not your thing, don't be scared to change because it's really intimidating when you first. Because I remember when I was trying to make my way into uh, to like live action film, for example, um, I, had, I had so much naysaying from my comic book uh, <laughs> compatriots, not because they were trying to be discouraging, but it's because they don't want to lose you from their team. Or yeah. whatever. You know what I mean? Like uh, yeah. and and um, and. Uh, you know, I had to fight through a lot of doubt and a lot of just being really scared that maybe I couldn't do it or I was wasting all this money or whatever. And um, and uh, it took me a lot of nerve to actually uh, just go all in, like full time and really believe in it, you know. And um, so, yeah, that's one thing I would say is just don't, you know, it's OK if you don't know for sure, like in college, what you want to do. Uh, eventually, just try whatever you think is the thing. And then if that doesn't work out just be brave and like switch over to the thing that you genuinely love and then stick with that. When you find out what you love, then stick with that and work hard and just keep working at it, you know? Yeah, totally feel that. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Is there is there anything else you'd like to add? That you want to talk about or anything? Um, whenever I have my own show, please watch it. That's all I have to say. <laughs> okay, we'll bring you on for another episode for the launch of your own show so we can help uh, talk about it. Yeah, that would be nice. That would be a nice dream come true. <laughs> but, you know, the show I'm working on right now, if, uh, you know, people watch that too, that'd be great. And please watch Amphibia. It's an amazing show um, created by an amazing dude named Matt Brawley. Um, and uh, just if you're an animation person or any kind of storyteller, just keep working at it and don't ever stop and um, set your daily goals and just keep hitting them. And eventually you'll do it. I, I believe that. I love that, and uh, I think that's a I think that's a good note to end off on. Um, cool. <laughs> thank, thank you so much, Derek, for coming on the podcast. I found it really interesting, kind of just learning the ins and outs of what these roles actually take, and also your experience in it. It was it was really insightful too. Oh, cool, man! Thanks for uh, having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. And uh, if you're listening and you want to follow Derek's work and see what happens when he comes out with his show, you can uh, reach him and follow <laughs> his stuff on Instagram, which is Derek Kirk Kim. And I will include a link to that in the description of this podcast. And that is all for now. Thank you so much for listening. Okay, bye.